The first scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Listen for the word of God. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture lesson today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. This is the first half of a lengthy story of an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is this that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, as we gather before your word and hear within that word a lot about water, may you give us and lead us to take the living water. 
In the name of Christ, amen. In 1957, at the age of 12, the Irish folk singer Van Morrison had a brief but powerful religious experience which led him to compose about a dozen years later in his early 20s the song that would become the lead to his album, Moon Dance. The formal title of the song is, And It Stoned Me, but it's more often referred to as, Oh, the Water. Half a mile from the country fair, he sings, and the rain came pouring down, me and Billy standing there with a silver half a crown. Hands are full of fish and rod, and the tackle on our backs, we just stood there getting wet with our backs against the fence. Oh, the water, oh, the water, oh, the water, hope it don't rain all day. And it stoned me to my soul, stoned me just like jelly roll, and it stoned me. And it stoned me to my soul, stoned me just like going home, and it stoned me. Then the rain let up, and the sun came up, and we were getting dry. Almost let a pickup truck nearly pass us by, so we jumped right in, and the driver grinned, and he dropped us down the road. Yeah, we looked at the swim and we jumped right in, not to mention fishing poles. On the way back home, we sang a song, but our throats were getting dry. Then we saw the man from across the road with sunshine in his eyes. Well, he lived all alone in his own little home with a great big gallon jar. There were bottles, too, one for me and you. And he said, hey. There you are. Oh, the water. Oh, the water. Oh, the water. Get it myself from the mountain stream. And it stoned me to my soul, stoned me just like jelly roll. Just like going home. And it stoned me. Now, at age 40, Morrison granted an interview that gave the background to this song. A couple of dimensions of this interview stand out to me as he describes this experience he had at age 12. First, it is the provision of water that leads Morrison, even at age 12, to silence. We used to go to a place called Ballystokart to fish, he said. We stopped in the village on the way up to this place and I went to this little stone house. There was an old man there with dark weather-beaten skin. We asked him if he had any water. He gave us some water, which he said he'd got from the stream. We drank some and everything seemed to stop for me. Time stood still for five minutes everything was really quiet then the silence leads Morrison to an awareness of a dimension beyond water and beyond thirst and beyond countryside and rain and fishing and a friend 
I was in this other dimension, Morrison says, and it stoned me, and it stoned me to my soul. Then Morrison's religious experience also involves memory. When he sings, stone me just like Jelly Roll, it is thought that he is referring to jazz musician Jelly Roll Morton, whose recordings he listened to with his father while growing up. And it stoned me to my soul, stoned me just like Jelly Roll, stoned me just like going home. Van Morrison's religious experience as a teenager involved silence, a sense of God's otherness, and memory. It stoned me to my soul. Now the two biblical stories that we've read on this third Sunday in Lent involve experiences of God that people have in and around water. Prior to our joining them, the people of Israel have recently been freed from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And they have been freed, how? By crossing the waters of the Red Sea. Under the leadership of Moses, his brother Aaron, and his sister Miriam, the people then moved from the Red Sea and into the wilderness of Shur, where for three days they lack water. And they cry out to God. God responds by pointing Moses to a tree, which Moses pulls up out of the ground and throws into the brackish waters of Marah, leading the waters to become safe and sweet for the people in the wilderness. The people next move on to a place called Elam, where they find 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camp there by the water. Two weeks later, they arrive in the wilderness of sin, where they panic about lack of food, and they complain to Moses, you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us with hunger. But then they see God begin to rain. Notice the verb, rain. A sweet, sticky substance from heaven. Notice manna which appears on the ground each night so that they might have daily bread each morning. All of that happens before the text that we read, but in the text we read, we join the people of Israel when they are camped at Rephidim, where again there is no water. They complain to Moses, who this time cries out to God, What shall I do with this people? They are ready to stone me. And God says, Take in your hand the staff, the walking cane, the staff that Moses had used to strike the Nile both to begin one of the plagues and to end one of the plagues. The Nile River, of course, is water. And God says, strike the rock that is with your staff on Mount Horeb and the water will come out so all the people may drink. Moses does so and the water comes out. Once again, the people have water. Oh, the water. Oh, the water. Oh, the water. Let it run all over me. 
Moving forward into the New Testament, into the Gospel of John, we find Jesus coming to Samaria, a region of people with mixed ancestry who are accepted neither by Jews nor by Gentiles. It is noon. It is hot. Jesus sits down by Jacob's well, and a woman of Samaria comes to draw water from the well. Jesus asks her for a drink, And she expressed astonishment that he, a Jew, is talking to her, a Samaritan and female, in the middle of the day in the market. The conversation proceeds on two levels, as a lot of conversations in John occur. Jesus is talking about living water as a gift of God that gushes up to eternal life and leads people never to be thirsty. And the woman is talking about water that requires a bucket and a jar to drink. Now, over 3,500 years span the calendar between the time the people of Israel were needing water in the wilderness, Christ and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, and Van Morris and the Irish songwriter in the countryside. 3,500 years But each of these set of characters experiences water as an entry point or even as a symbol to a deeper religious experience, a deeper experience of the presence of God. For Van Morrison, as we said, that experience is marked by silence. Everything seemed to stop for me. I was in this other dimension. For the people of Israel, in a passage a little later in our text, it is marked by Moses articulating for them a question that they have not yet come to have the ability to articulate themselves. The question, is God among us? Or does God simply exist, retired? from the need that we have. And for the woman, it's marked by what she says later in the passage that Casey referred to as she goes back to the city after her encounter with Jesus at the well when she says, come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. Is it possible, she says, that this man who knows me so well is the Messiah? In each of these stories, which occur thousands of years apart, the singer, the people of Israel, and the woman experience a defining sense of being known by God in a wilderness that is deeper than, but symbolized by, the absence of water. It is an experience that provides each of them with blessed assurance that they need to keep on the journey to sing their song, to become an evangelist, to tell the story of their experience of God. He told me everything I've ever done. Is the Lord among us or not? I was in this other dimension. 
Though these stories that we have covered today, all three of them, two biblical and one from popular culture, these stories are not simple. My purpose in sharing them with you during this third Sunday in Lent is pretty simple. It is to encourage us intellectually oriented, proudly educated, congenitally private, reserved, less than demonstrative Presbyterians, to allow ourselves the time and the space and the quiet to be known and touched by God. If we allow ourselves time and space and quiet, the promise is that we will eventually experience what Van Morrison experienced in the stone house in the Irish countryside, what the people of Israel experienced in the wilderness, what the woman experienced at the living well. We will experience living water. Now, I'm told that about 10% of the world's population currently does not have access to safe and clean water. I'm also told that that percentage is about half what it was in 1990. So there have been great improvements in providing water for the world's population. But that 10% still represents twice the number of people that live in our country don't have access to water. The crisis that they face around water is different than the crises that we, in prosperous, privileged cultures, face. The crises we face are more about what we have rather than what we lack. Ours is a crisis of not stopping long enough in the countryside to draw water from a stone house and then not pausing long enough in silence to enter that divine dimension from which living water ultimately comes. Ours is a crisis of not looking deep enough within ourselves of not articulating the question that often hangs in the room and hangs over our experience, is God with us? Or is God retired, leaving us on our own? Ours is a crisis of hearing water, and like the woman thinking about buckets and wells, tap water or bottled water, plain water or sparkling water, all of which you have to decide now when you go into any restaurant, rather than thinking about the living water of eternal life. Ours is a wilderness in which water is not all that is lacking a place in which we face a sprawl of possibilities to which we have not opened ourselves and therefore have been absent, even to our awareness or our imagination. A place at which the first whiff 
of unmiraculous time leads us to complain. Leads us to miss the times in which the miracles do occur. Oh, the water, oh, the water, oh, the water, let it run all over me. I heard at our last session meeting several weeks ago that in conjunction with the Rotary Club, we have been providing funding for the United Orphanage Academy in Moise Bridge to actually complete a water project that they've been working on. Heretofore, they, like the women, have had to draw all their water from the well. And sometimes, while the well doesn't run dry, they've had water. It's inconsistent. But now they're able to have water all the time. And to have it piped to the girls' dorm and to the kitchen. It's only a dent in the world's water problem, but it is 150 more people in one country, in one village, in one small place, having a little bit more access to water than they had before. <coughs> Closer to home, it may be the case that for some of us, the only time that we are truly silent the only time that we allow ourselves to be still to know that I am God is the minute or so following the prayer of confession in our bulletin each week. But even then, even in that period of silence, despite our most diligent efforts, we can find ourselves distracted by a bulletin that falls to the floor by the Fitbit we're thinking about on our wrist, by the lacrosse game that is waiting for us and the SUV that is piled high with equipment and kids waiting for us to drive them to it. Or we can be distracted thinking about that faucet, that source of water that we've got to fix when we get home. All of that can pull us away from that 60 seconds of silence that we have in each of our worship services. But despite these distractions, I would like to suggest that this 60 seconds each week can be a starting point for us opening ourselves up to being touched by God. That's what it is for me. During that 60 seconds of silence, since it's a time of confession, I pray for things I have done and things I have left undone. I pray for people close to me. I pray for people in the church, particularly people going through something. I pray for our nation. And I pray for my capacity to lead the service the service that we're in. Mine's a pretty long list for that 60 seconds, but I go to church twice on Sunday, so it's really 120 seconds. <laughs> now, I know it can be really counterproductive for the minister to stand in front of you and 
and say, you should experience God. You ought to experience God. It's really not very Presbyterian to say that because the reality is that we don't really just call God down to give us an experience whenever we want. We don't really control the ways that we experience God, that God speaks to us, that God makes himself known. But we do We control our availability. We can sit in silence in time and space. We can, and I as a minister can, both a scripture for you in which God speaks, be still and know that I am God. The promise is there. We can make ourselves available. Oh, the water. Oh, the water. Stone me to myself.